0: Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, I'm Chaz Hathaway. Today we're going to share three short uh, near-death experiences. These are all, you know, bedside type experiences. But there's a couple of points that I think uh, uh, are worth bringing out. So here we go. This first one is Gene, and these are all from enderf.org. After gallbladder surgery, I was in poor shape. I remained half-conscious after a heart attack that occurred while I was in the recovery room. I made made a breathtaking dive into a tunnel. I saw motionless people. I saw old colleagues, deceased for many years, making signs as if to say, come along with us. I saw my parents, deceased since 1979, making signs, inviting me to follow them. I also saw my mother-in-law making signs in order to stop me from following the others that were making these signs. I was still diving faster and faster and deeper and deeper toward a bluish-white light that was attracting me. For how long? No idea. At one point I thought I was flying. Under me, a bed with a form, instruments, and people with yellow faces that were dressed in green. All around the bed were devices to which the form on the bed was linked. I was hearing voices and wanted to answer, but not a sound would come out of my mouth, and the dive was continuing, always toward this light. At one point, I was seeing people between the light and me, my wife, my two daughters, and their husbands, and in the middle of them, surrounded by a soft light, I was seeing my granddaughter who is two years old. She was moving her head and saying, no, grandfather. After that, everything dissolved into light. And that's the end of the experience. A little bit infuriating of a place to stop. (laughs) Cliffhanger, if you will, dissolving into light. I assume by the fact that that's the end of the experience, that dissolved into light and then faded into either wakefulness or sleep or something. Uh, that's unclear, but uh, interesting uh, bit. It says that um, there were many that were inviting him to her to come, saying, come on, come on, or uh, him to come, sorry, Um, inviting him to come. But then his mother-in-law is telling him, stop, don't go on, you got to go back. It makes me wonder what it is that determines, I mean, I suspect the um, default is for people to be very inviting of you. Come, let's, you know, welcome and come and so forth. But the few that have near-death experiences, obviously they're not done because they came back to tell us the story. And so it makes me think that those people had more to do. So that's kind of interesting. I'm also not entirely sure what to make of the second aspect that uh, where she said or where he says that at one point i thought i was flying i i was under the impression that he was flying all along but it says under me there's a bed with a form instruments and people with yellow faces that were dressed in green now are these the doctors and so forth because it says that all around the bed were devices to which the form on the bed was linked is this his body in the hospital but I don't know. I don't know. Um, he's in the recovery room, so I imagine that's what it was. But but he says also that the dive was continuing always toward this light. It's as if he's rushing, but he can also see this, you know, bed and so forth below him. And it makes me wonder because they say that, you know, your vision, you can see distances with that, with great ease and so forth. Is he seeing it getting smaller and smaller and yet just as much in focus? Or is it kind of like floating along at just, you know, 20 feet below him or something, you know? I don't know. I don't know. Kind of interesting. Chris says, After giving birth to my first child, I hemorrhaged, losing eight pints of blood. The placenta had stuck. I could not be put to sleep because I had just eaten before labor. Delivery was uneventful until the afterbirth problem. I remember being cold and asking for a blanket. I felt the doctor scraping me and trying to stop bleeding. I asked the nurse if I was dying. Then I was floating above my body that I saw was lying on the table. I could describe equipment and conversations of nurses and the doctor. I was not scared, but was emotionally detached from the scene. I thought, hmm, I must be dying. Then I remembered my new baby and prayed, please let me stay, I have a new baby. I remember feeling the transfusion in my veins and the blood was very cold, like ice water. Then I was back. The doctor said he had almost lost me. My baby was born at 11.35 p.m. The doctor finished working on me at 3 a.m. He never gave up. I had no anesthesia during this time. So that's an interesting little, uh, you know, kind of drifting from the body experience uh, in a moment of of medical scare, you know. Um, Nothing incredibly unique about this experience, but this seems to be the typical kind of experience that... uh, So many people have. They'll just be standing over their body for a time. And she says, hmm, I must be dying. And then, remembering the new baby, prayed to stay. And then found herself back in the body with the transfusion of blood going in. So was it the prayer or was it the transfusion? And I think the answer is yes. That brought her back. So, Arthur says... I was suffering from testicular cancer, I had had my left testicle removed. Part of the cure was to undergo chemotherapy. This made me very sick and weak. At that time in my life I was suffering from sleep apnea, a sleep disorder characterized by pauses in breathing or instances of very low breathing during sleep. I had numerous events of a cessation of breathing during sleep. Usually, I would go into a convulsion or spasm and wake up gasping for breath. I think the effect of the chemo weakened my body enough so that the waking up gasping part did not happen. As I lay in bed sleeping, the logic part of my brain flashed a message. Breathing has stopped. If it does not resume, death will occur. It was that simple. I could feel pressure inside my body, sort of like the pressure in a balloon filled with air. No pain, just pressure. For a moment, I was seized with panic as I realized I was dying. Then the panic went away, and I thought, this is death? This is so easy, so natural. What was I uh, frightened of? I felt a little silly at having been frightened. At this point, a sensation came over me. It was a warm emotion that permeated every part of me. It was very peaceful and unique. I had felt nothing, or let's see, I had never felt anything like this before. Then, as if I was lying on my back in a pool of water, I began to sink slowly down into the pool. It seemed to grow dark and empty. A moment later, it grew bright, very bright. There was an object in front of me that looked like the sun. It was so intensely bright, but it did not hurt my eyes to look at it. Suddenly, I began to understand things. I understood why I had cancer, and how it was so very important for me to have cancer. In fact, it was so important that I realized I would not have it any other way. But I can't explain why it was important. I just understood that it was... Then the object spoke to me. It spoke in English and sounded just like any other person. It said, Hello, Arthur. I'm so glad to see you. At that point, I mentioned something from my past that I was not very proud of. The object said, You didn't like that, did you? I replied, No, I did not. Then the object then said, I didn't think you would. At this point, there was an imaginary line in front of me, and I knew if I crossed it, I could not go back. I was hesitating. The light then said, What are you doing? I answered, I'm dying. The light asked me, Are you ready to die? I replied, No, there are things I must do. The light then said, That's right. You go back and do them. When you are done, come back and see me. At this point, I re-entered my body. I remember touching my arm, my left arm, with my right hand. It felt odd. The skin felt like the skin of a deceased person, cold and lifeless. It was as if the life energy had not settled all the way back into my body. I sat up in the darkened bedroom. I looked at my wife sleeping next to me. I wondered what had just happened. I would have thought it was a dream, except the warm glow, that that peaceful feeling, was still with me. It lasted a couple of days. That was the singular thing that told me something extraordinary had really happened. That is the end of Arthur's experience. Interesting. So that uh, peaceful feeling that stuck with him for a couple of days, I call that an afterglow. Um, not to be confused with an after effect, which, you know, sometimes after effects are even more intense during the afterglow, but the afterglow period where there is this continued feeling of love and joy and and feeling of, of rightness and, and, you know, basically the feelings that they have in the near-death experience. Uh, many times when people return, that lasts for you know, a couple hours, a couple of days, a couple of months, you know, I've heard of six months. I mean, it, sometimes they last a long time, which while it'd be wonderful to have six months of that, it would be kind of hard too, because that'd be like six months of near-death experiencing and then coming back. But now that I think about it, um, with how much goes on during near-death experiences, they say, you know, it was like I was with them for four years before coming back is what, uh, feels like to them and uh or sometimes even longer so very interesting so he says um that this moment he's um you know having sleep apnea uh, or he has sleep apnea and as he's asleep part of his brain is saying you've stopped breathing you've got to start breathing or you'll die basically and there was no pain but there was pressure And, uh, and after a few moments, um, of, of panic, uh, the panic just went away and he thought, this is death. This is so easy. So natural. What was I frightened of? He even says, I felt a little silly at having been frightened of death. That's kind of a beautiful thing. I mean, think about that. When we get to the other side, we're like, well, that's what I was afraid of. Really? You know? I wouldn't be surprised if most people, by the time of their death, have experienced pain and suffering far greater than what they experience at the moment of death. With the exception of those who die, come back, die, come back, and then die. (laughs) Those people, they've got it rough, man. Because my understanding is it's coming back that hurts the most physically. Spiritually, though, you know, obviously it's, it's hard coming back, but uh, uh, for a lot of people anyway. And many even who want to come back, they come back and they're like, what was I thinking? Send me back! <laughs> yeah. Very interesting. In case you didn't hear yesterday's episode, we have a way for you to support the podcast financially. It is a Patreon account. Um, I was encouraged by a listener to open a Patreon account and though I haven't made any effort at, uh, at doing anything to support this effort financially, I thought it'd be a good way to be able to allow those who really want to support the podcast to be able to do so. And you know, if it is financially, you know, helpful, really helpful. Um, it will just reinforce my desire to keep doing this. It's not that I don't want to do it; I do want to do it, but it does take a lot of time and work. So um, this is a way of of trying to uh, compensate for that work. Um, but regardless of whether you can uh, contribute, I am deeply appreciative to each of you, especially um, if you can, you know, if you can leave a review, that would help. If you can. If you leave a comment or a message by uh, emailing near death experience at gmail.com or by calling 970-NDECAST. Uh, when you call, it will give you three minutes. If it takes longer to share your experience or comment or question, just call back and continue as many times as it takes. And I'll splice that together quite easily. And with that, thank you all of you so much again for listening.